One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch. Forty-five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Christina here again, hosting part two of uh, Malt Tonics and Medicinal Beer. As you can kind of guess if you're watching this on YouTube, we all filmed these in the same day <laughs> so we could remember what we talked about in part one. So I am still here joined by Lisa and Bean. And again, before I get too far into this, please check us out on YouTube. Remember to subscribe, like us on all the socials, and we're also found wherever you can get your podcasts. So before we get too far into it, let's start with what are you drinking? So Bean, do you want to kick us off? Sure. So I've got some some old yellow belly that I found in the cupboard. The last stand. It's kind of a Star Wars theme. Gonna say. And yeah. uh, it's a barley wine. Oh, wow. 8.2%. And Ooh. I know we're, we're starting to into the, um, the, the, oh, heck. Well, I'll just, I'll just ask you, what's a Vienna special bee biscuit to go along with Irish pale malt? I have no idea. That's the malt. Type of malt. Yeah. Just a. Just a table. Yeah. Vienna special bee biscuit. Good grief. <laughs> um, and then the hops are Citra and Cascade and Columbus. That I've heard of before. All the way from Wexford. And the Absolutely. past, the distant, the past. distant past of 2019. <laughs> it's very sweet. It makes me think it should have been in malt tonics. But now I can also be looking back toward the past. The old times when we did malt tonics. Mm. Absolutely. Sweet. Brown. Kind of opaque. A little yeah. Bit yeah. Not too much. I mean, this will get me. This will get me through. It's purely medicinal. Oh. It's all good. You're it's fine. very medicinal. <laughs> very medicinal. <laughs> this is suited to the purpose. Oh, good, good. Well, I, I've also tried to find something that I personally find purely medicinal in that it's just so good and goes with pretty much everything. And as I've decided in my, I think, week and a half of knowing this beer, so I have the Whiplash Dark Steering. It is their Schwartz beer, and it is beautiful, 5.2%, and it is just 
really, really good, the kind of thing you can have with pizza or just on its own or with chocolate or something. So it's, it's nice. And, um, you know, Munich malt, aromatic malt, chocolate malt. Uh, and it's just really, really well done. And, and again, not, not to, um, I, I think it's fair to say that, you know, Ireland on the whole does not have a reputation for amazing lagers. That's fair, even though a couple of people do make great ones. But this is just really top-notch stuff, so recommended. Oh, very nice. I love a Shores beer. I didn't know they ha- that was out. Yeah. So I will definitely be going. Yeah, to it's brand new. So definitely. And if you order from their web shop, too, it comes like the next day. So it's uh, it's a beautiful thing. That's tempting. That's very tempting. It's very tempting. I'll have to uh, I'll have to look into this. I have another beer that I actually uh, got at Little as well. Oh. So this is this is uh, 12 Acres Brewing, of course, of Ireland. And this is an India Pale Lager. Their Palette Jack India Pale Lager. I mean, I have to say that I was really attracted to the can. Yeah. I like like turquoise. It just sucks me in. Like if I see turquoise <laughs> on a turquoise or like any bright colors, I'm like, yes, I'm going to buy this. I don't care. You know, I don't know what it is, but it's pretty. Um, so, yeah, I really liked the, the can design. I liked the colors a lot. So um, that is why I bought it. I'm going to be honest. Um, it's an it color and it's really pretty. And it's got it's the really little wheat um, yeah, it's a really pretty. It's a really pretty can. To be honest with you, I like the whole branding. I like. I like all is. of this. I, I'm yeah. very, very attracted to the the can design. It's definitely something that caught my eye. Palette Jack. Just, That's yeah, funny. I, How's yeah. it taste? It's, it you like? know what? It's so. Um, what do they they describe yeah. it as? Um, it's a hoppy pilsner style lager, light, crisp, fresh, and fruity. Again, it's just like it does what it says on the tin. It's definitely a lager. It's a hoppy lager. It's a very hoppy lager. Um, definitely, definitely, yeah, I, I get that. Fresh. Definitely the freshness. Mm, good. From, from the hops. And definitely the fruitiness, the tropical, grapefruity kind of notes there. Oh, it's, interesting. It's, it is an interesting beer. Beauty. It's nice. Excellent. It's, it's, a, it's a nice beer. Yeah. And again, like just the stuff you can get at your local little is, you know, better and better all the time. You know, fantastic yeah. choice now. And it definitely has more hop flavor than hop bitterness, which I like. Mm-hmm. I think that works better in a Pilsner. I think you could get yeah. really overwhelmed if you just dumped in, like, say, like, IPA levels of bitterness into it. And I yeah. don't really get this from that. Um, you know, they're saying, like, India Pale Lager, and that might just be the balance with the malt from the lager. But I think this is just really well done, and I really enjoy it. Um, yeah. Light, crisp, fresh, and fruity. I would say that's probably bang on to what it is. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's good beer. Nice. And again, you, if we decide it's medicinal, you know, to tie back to our last episode, we can say so and it can be so. So yeah, there you go. Just, now, you can't advertise it that way now, but <laughs> back in the day. They had a good run, didn't they? <laughs> they had a good run. Oh, my gosh. Yes, they got away with everything. <laughs> but speaking of medicinal beer and probably maybe Ireland's sort of... Um, place in the history of medicinal beer let's talk guinness (laughs) let's do this guinness is advertising it is it gives you strength exactly (laughs) It, it it does yes absolutely and that was that was um big part of their advertising history did we did we get it right? <laughs> did we pass? <laughs> so there, yeah. there's actually a really interesting book if anyone's interested called uh, it's by David Hughes. It's a, it's a bottle of Guinness, please. The colorful history of Guinness, um, and he has an entire section based uh, talking about Guinness's medicine. Um, and he has several ads in there from the 1930s, which like state things like 
Weak and shaky, doctor finds Guinness a magnificent tonic. And poor appetite and low spirits, doctor orders Guinness. So this kind of reminds us of the malt tonic ads. (laughs) Very similar to the malt tonic ads. Yeah. And um, so Hughes also did an example of, like, was it actually, like, used as medicine? And, for example, um, Guinness surveyed uh, 122 doctors – um, one of which was a, a physician called Dr. Lumsden, and he allowed Guinness to use their views on its medicinal qualities. And Dr. Lumsden had pres- been prescribing it to nursing mothers since the 1890s. And Guinness was available for free in UK hospitals and was used to treat everything from influenza and boils to insomnia and blood disorders. And <laughs> between... Um, or in 1954, and then I think again in like 1961 or 62, Guinness mailed 54,000 doctors about its medicinal qualities, and they got 30,000 replies with 11,500 positive and only 882 negative responses. And this is all in Hughes's book, and it's very interesting, really well-researched and well-cited, and I, I, I highly recommend this book. But Guinness was legitimately used as medicine. I mean, I would want that in my IV. I mean, and especially if you think of some of the, you know, some of the medicines of the time, it's going to do more for you in terms of at least just stay hydrated, you know, and it's not going to, it's not going to kill you unless you you really go overboard. So, you know, on the whole. It would sure make me feel taken care of if somebody brought me some Guinness in a medicine cup, (laughs) mopped my fevered brow and said, here, drink this. It will make you better. I would feel very... Yeah, at least the placebo effect would be strong. Absolutely. Well, and and again, like to you know the fact that that's all there. I think you know even you know you might even argue sort of especially under Diageo, like they still really invest in their corporate archives and make sure that that stuff is there, mostly to be used in marketing. But again, some people do get to get in and do research. I'd like it if more people got to get in and do research, but that's a different, uh, a different argument. But I would say even, you know, across their other brands as well, especially like now a lot of their uh, distilling brands, they're really trying to use their historic archives to say, not just, Ooh, what, what old, you know, what old recipes do we have? But like, how can we tell the brand story and so on and so forth and, and uh, just shout out, it would be better if everyone else did this too. All companies should do this, but uh, so shout out to them for that. But that's how you can go out and do this research to say, how did we position this brand in 1920? And what did people think it did? And uh, unless you pay your archivists, you don't get to find these things out because they all disappear. So, so yeah, just, my, there's and- my, uh, there's my hobby horse to my, uh, and, and just to say, this is not a dig at Guinness. This was a common practice of not at the, all. the time yeah. in which they existed. So this is not a, oh, don't go buy Guinness now because, you know, yeah. of, of this, that, or the other thing. This was what everyone was doing. They're just jumping on the Pabst and the, you know, the the <laughs> the wagon of everyone else um, at the time. And and um, in particular, uh, Guinness had had a specific stout um, that they that they sort of marketed towards and this is incredibly ableist um and offensive but they called it um an invalid stout um i guess we could kind of more nicely call it uh sort of maybe a covalescent stout or or something like that martin cornell anyway sent me this article and i believe it's by um 
Sam Elsden, and he's the one who suggested the alternative uh, term for covalescent stuff. Mm-hmm. And it is uh, basically the story of um, these stouts and how they, they came to arrive in Canada, actually, Bean. There you go. <laughs> um, so, so it's really interesting. Um, and yeah, they were, they were advertising these towards um, to, to sick people. Uh, as as part of their way to perhaps gain health. I mean, I'm doing my best to use it to gain health. I don't know if it's working. Hey. <laughs> I hope it is. Tastes good. They, Absolutely. Yeah. He has, I, I will tweet this because he has some really excellent um, advertisements. Um, really, really kind of very clear. I mean, I hate saying this because it's quite ableist, but definitely saying just invalid stout saying, quote, for invalids, maturing girls and all persons in a weak or rundown condition, Mm -hmm. strengthening, full bodied, absolutely pure. I mean, (laughs) and this this was this was um, this was a different a different one. Um, So, you know, Guinness didn't have a corner on this market as well. This was this was something that absolutely Guinness Guinness was joining something that already existed. Um, but I really, really recommend this this article that that um, again Martin Cornell had sent me a year ago um, by by Sam um, Elsden, and I will tweet that um, because this this just really covers the idea of these stouts um, that were marketed towards you know the sickly, the rundown, the the not doing so good. Yeah, much like our Maltonics. To yeah, be fair, recommend a visit to the sea and. Uh... Some beer. Uh, yeah. And I'm sure too, if you got a sort of ongoing contract with a hospital or, you know, a, you know, a sort of a, a sanatorium or something, you know, if you're, you know, that's a, that's a regular sale. It's uh, turning over again and again and again. So again, you have to wonder about the, the quantities. And again, I'm sure that's available somewhere to, to researchers with, but that would be fascinating. Like what percentage was kind of marketed this way and what was different about it? Was anything different about it or was it just different label? But I mean, you, you have to assume, though, maybe it was sort of less alcoholic just because you don't want to waste all your your best stuff. So maybe you have like second runnings or something. But I'd be really curious to know, was there a, a difference in recipe or was it just purely difference in label? Yeah, because I mean, I'm looking at some of these advertisements here. And again, I will tweet this so people can look. But it's 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 almost the same sort of language we saw with yeah. the Maltonics. I mean, there's this ad here from the Toronto World from November 18th, 1915. And it's it's one of these stouts, but it's targeted for mothers. Um, yeah. And it says, quote, it fills every requirement without causing the bilious feeling usually associated with stout. Insist right. on the genuine. Brewed and bottled by the Dominion Brewing Company Limited in Toronto. So, you know, this is definitely not just a Guinness thing. What do you guys think of the bilious feeling associated with stout? <laughs> yeah, I can't say it's a, that. I can't say I've had it, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's not like spicy food or something. That's interesting. Yeah. This, this, this one, uh, another, another advertisement for Dominion Brewing Brewery Company uh, says that their stout will make you feel like a boy again. I hope it. Hey, does. there we go. And that you should have it in your home <laughs> for family use. But, you mean, know, you really should take the edge off. You know, so sold by dealers and hotels. <laughs> and oh, that's interesting. And... Yeah, absolutely. Again, you're going back to the sort of big commercial kind mm. of operation. Yeah. Ah, oh, fascinating stuff. 
really, really interesting. Um, oh, here you go, Lisa. I'm, I'm, I'm skimming this article while I'm talking to you. And um, it says other breweries followed in yeah. Ontario. Carling um, from London, Ontario, introduced its aforementioned quote, stout for invalids, again, sorry for the less language, uh, containing a mere 2.5 proof spirits. So oh, interesting here. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder, was that unique to, to Canada or something about Toronto brewing or, or Ontario brewing? Well, here, here's another one. Um, again, uh, in Toronto, Cosgraves created a con- convalescent stout, which with a 9% proof spirits. And Copeland Copeland Brewing introduced a tonic stout, which claimed to be at least 9% proof. I mean, you'd probably feel better for a while until you (laughs) didn't, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, hmm. yeah, interesting. Okay. So quite your range, at least in Canada. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I wonder, too, especially for those that are sort of at the, the upper end of the, that range, I wonder, you know, they, they must they can't have been inexpensive to produce. And then, you know, you, so you, you know, you wonder what kind of markup are you putting on that? And you know, lots of questions and probably de- different depending on, again, whether you're selling to hotels, as, as in the one example, or to individuals. So that's I mean, there's there again, there's a lot you could dig into there that's so interesting and just the economics of, you know, mm. what makes it worth their while to to make it and, and market it that way. Yeah, it must have been stuff too? it must have been if all these people are it must be the same market as Maltonics. And it, the market must have been booming. I mean if all these different breweries are making it then this must be the thing to make. Yeah. Yeah. And and then I guess you have it probably up until maybe the Second World War, and then it sort of falls out of fashion, I would imagine, or, or thereabouts. I'm trying to think, just because I know I've looked at this a long time ago, just broadly speaking, in terms of what, you know, when you could kind of stop saying that kind of thing about your, your food and drink. And I feel like that's kind of where things start to to shift. And, and certainly also, at least in North America, you you start to get like that sort of consolidation of all your brands to where they're just not making that much variety. So you can easily see kind of cutting off those you know, weird things that aren't your mass market lager. So I wonder if that's part of it too. Really, it's really, really interesting. And I just, like I said, I just really encourage everyone to just kind of read this article. Um, again, there, there will be some of that ableist language in here, which, you know, you can't avoid when you're talking about this. The history of the words is, is the history of the, the thing. Unfortunately, it's very yep. unfortunate um, that, you know, of course the society was incredibly ableist back in the, in, in, in the day. And, uh, an interesting take on sort of the evolution of of these sorts of stouts and how they came to be and what they were and, and so yes i will tweet this um <laughs> around the time that my grandmother was born yeah i mean as she would have been in like 1915 or something yeah. <laughs> that's interesting and and yeah that's it's interesting that it's it's professionalized too hasn't it because it's gone from being this sort of thing made by, you know, these little companies, you know, Pabst obviously, you know, being an exception, but you have a lot of these little sort of almost fly-by-night companies making their malt tonics to these more and more sizable, you know, international at this point breweries making this kind of thing. So, because even then Pabst would have been a regional brand, not a global brand. So, yeah, and it's thinking of the earlier part. And it's interesting because they are calling these, like Copland is calling this a tonic stout. So, I mean, that is, Mm. you can, I mean, that's malt tonic, but it's just, instead of just calling it malt tonic, it's a tonic stout. It's quite interesting yeah very very interesting take um and i think we can kind of maybe venture on down 
to yeah. Canada's neighbors and we can we can talk about medicinal beer or beer as medicine even in America. Absolutely. Uh, a bit. Um and particularly in prohibition. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Do not accidentally ferment this. It, oh no, it might turn into wine, you know, the sort <laughs> of uh grapes you would get with the instructions like oh no. But uh, yeah, well, that's the thing. You have to prove everything is medicinal or sacramental. Then you're good. So booze. Although actually there's a funny Canadian sideline. I've been watching a Canadian cooking YouTube channel where he's been going through making Prohibition era cocktails. And the cocktail books are all very cagey about where to get your booze. Even though they're for a Canadian market, they're sort of still pitching at America. So it's all you may have this sitting around from before, but fascinating stuff. So side note there, but some of it is like, obviously you have this for, you know, your, your household medicinal needs. You're like, of course you do. So it's all, uh, it's all still good. That's well, yeah, right. And, and that's, that's kind of the story. So during prohibition, um, a group of drinkers and physicians, um, Lawmakers actually took this to U.S. Congress. So um, actually, I have my notes, so I don't forget this. Notes are this. good. Um, so, so basically in 1921, uh, a group tried to convince the U.S. Congress that beer was vital medicine. So the 18th Amendment, which was the prohibition, it banned drinking alcohol and beer and those things for pleasure and intoxication. But there was a big loophole for religious consumption, as Lisa said, or hair tonics, perfumes, toilet waters, and also alcohol prescribed by physicians as part of your treatment. So medicinal beer. But temperance advocates completely denounced uh, the idea of medicinal beer. Now, before we get too much into prohibition, we're going to have a dedicated episode just about prohibition. And it's incredibly racist and oh, yeah. xenophobic um, origins. It's really horrific um but you know we will talk about that but i did just want to mention i did want to mention that so um this idea of medicinal beer was was opposed by you know of course the temperance movement so they took this to the attorney general at the time who was a mitchell palmer um and march 3rd 1921 he um gave an opinion basically declaring that the beverage um clause meant that physicians could prescribe beer so this led to a whole bunch of new problems there and there's a lot of really interesting if you want to google um newspaper headlines and stuff you can see all sorts of really interesting newspaper headlines from from kind of from this time so in response to this congress passed the i think what is commonly known as the beer emergency bill um, which limited uh, wine and, and liquor t- as prescribed. Um, and, and they limited the prescription that a physician could do to no more than half a pint in 10 days. Um, and they banned medicinal beer outright. Um, and this was law by November 1922. Mm. And if you're interested in more about this, um, there's an article by Jacob M. Apple. Um, that I will I will tweet and link um, called "Physicians Are Not Bootleggers: The Short Peculiar Life of the Medicinal Alcohol Movement." Oh, that does sound good. Yeah, it's really interesting. Nineteen twenty-one. The third of March is that is. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Palmer's uh, verdict? Yeah, it's almost 100 years since that. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So. That's really interesting. I mean, they tried. They really they tried. Did. Yeah. And again, you know, we're going to talk about it another time. But, you know, so few people realize that beer would be illegal under prohibition because they thought exactly that. It's a healthful thing I consume at home or, you know, with a few friends or family. It's not a, you know, again, it was kind of for all the family. But we're, we're going to have a whole probably a couple episodes as we get into it. There's just so much to unpack there. But, yeah, suddenly it's it's not there anymore. But it is interesting because, you know. As you know, Christina, there's, you know, this huge, long history and even prehistory of medicinal beer, which is, you know, your wheelhouse. So, you know, it's not like there's no truth to that in, in you know, from a historical perspective. So, you know, how did we lose the way? 
Yeah, we ab- we absolutely know that beer was used yeah. as medicine and and prescribed as medicine, um, though not in the idea that medieval people brewed beer because they knew oh, yeah. water was dangerous. Can we no. all just let that myth die? It's not <laughs> true. Medieval people had no concept of germ theory. Um, they might have very well understood that water could make them sick. Um, and we can kind of tell that by sort of like in the Black Death, um, they thought that people poisoned the wells and that's why they were getting sick. Um, and this led to mass slaughters of Jewish people because they were very anti-Semitic um, or, or lepers as well because they were ableist. Um, so so we do know that, the, you know, there was some idea that they could be linked. Um, Hildegard von Bingen also suggested something about drinking ale in certain times because of the melting of the snow or, or something to that effect. So, yes, there is an idea that water could be dangerous, but not widespread and not to the extent that people like to tout that myth. Just a friendly reminder that the medieval period was not just European. It was a global time frame. I I get incredibly frustrated when people act like the rest of the world didn't exist from 500 to 1500. (laughs) They absolutely did. And their ways of drinking water or treating water were, were completely different than what was happening in Europe, which is also to say that Europeans absolutely drank water with great regularity. We could see it all over the Irish medieval sources. They drank water. And would source, uh, you know, source good water, you know, nice clean water for all of their bacon beer or distilling later. And and again, to your point in in Asia, if you're making, you know, the sort of early versions of like sake, you have good water. It's not, you know, you're not just like, "Eh, it's dirty. This will clean it up. No, you want you want to start fresh. So it's part of the process. For example, when the English invaded and started trying to colonize Ireland, one of the first things they said about Dublin was they wanted to find a good source of water. It's one of the first like patent or close rules. I can't remember which one mm-hmm. um, that that the king issues for Ireland is, OK, let's find some water here. So like which obviously has other uses besides yeah. drinking. But I mean, come on. Like, yeah. I think I, I just really want this myth to die. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. We, we we just have to keep working. Every couple episodes, we're going to keep saying it until like, you know, Snopes cites us or something and be like, guys, no, 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 no. Yeah, it'll, it'll just be, you know, we'll be talking about something one day and it'll be like, by the way, medieval people, they drank water. Exactly. And other stuff too. But that's okay. They still, yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. They weren't like, this is, you know, one way ticket to death. No, there were plenty of other ways they could get the one way ticket to death. If anyone is subscribed to the medieval death bot, Highly recommend, but very uh, good thing to pursue. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, y- y- all sorts of fun ways to die in the medieval period: famine, miasma. <laughs> oh yes, yes, yeah, yeah. The very the very very dangerous medieval phenomenon of poisoned air. Apparently, yeah. that, you know, miasma caused by the planetary misalignment, which was caused by God not being happy with you, was why the Black Death happened. Fair. Yeah. You make God mad, you get a syzygy, it's all it's all off, you know. It's, or it's on, a, it, depending. It was <laughs> miasma from the east that draped slowly rolled across and then attacked Europe. Yeah, on a side note, as we're unpacking our, our, our new house here, I found all of my sort of plague and pandemic books together and I was like, This is great. Oh. Maybe I don't want to read these right now, but they're all together. So <laughs> Yay. Yay. Yeah, I, I just wrote my two chapters in my book about 
the plague, pre-plague, the plague, and post-plague. Ooh. And yeah, it was it was it was a fun thing to write in the middle of the pandemic when they're all Absolutely. like, oh. and then so we were timely. in quarantine, and I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> what well, like. is new again? Exactly. No, it's, it's so funny because um, I used to teach a class about this when I was teaching at university uh, about one of the classes I taught was about the Black Death, and like you heard about people quarantining. And like they would they would get to a point where they would just like not listen to the authorities. Um, And there was one instance where they broke quarantine and they had a party and they had like because they were supposed to just quarantine in their houses. Sure. People over and I'm sitting there going, no one would do that. Like now we're all smart. We know it's dangerous. And now I'm going. Oh no! Actually, people are just as stupid now as they've always been. Just don't listen to rules. We start, yeah, everybody oh. reaches, reaches a breaking point at some <laughs> stage. <laughs> like, I just, oh, you know, I was pure oh. hubris on my part, thinking for some reason, like, we were somehow more, you know, we had learned something. But no, 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 nope. we're, we're the same as we've always been. Yeah. Bless mm-hmm. us. No, it's God, the miasma. We're never going to learn. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no. <sighs> oh, no. But hey, I discovered I did finish second overall in my, my uh, I do the Learned League trivia contest and I finished second overall in history of disease, like, you know, pandemics and diseases. So I'm like, yay, this, this came in handy for <laughs> something. So yeah, so working in a medical archives and previously in public health meant that I was, I was ready for that. But yeah, I don't know. Like, but you know, we, we've been in this lockdown and for however long, like you got kind of used to it we're like oh outside that's a weird place i don't need to go there yeah i mean oh and and just quick if you're if you're interested in more about like medicines and plagues and Mm. stuff i highly recommend the sawbones podcast Mm. and also um there's a book called get well soon which is about like the history of plagues and i just it's really interesting Mm. if you haven't had you know enough plague in your daily life and want more plague you might want a different one. I mean, you know. It might be nice to know that people have been here before. Yeah. To, yes. Yeah. To, to, to contextualize this plague as compared to other plagues. Yeah. <laughs> it's not Absolutely. And at least now we can get beer delivered. So I think in a way that is medicinal. <laughs> you know, we don't have to leave the house. It just appears. You know, you have to thank our delivery people for you know, putting up with crazy stuff. So thank you. Yeah, I do think there is something to be said about beer as medicinal in terms of mental health, in terms of just being able sometimes to just to, to have that, you know, try something new with all the different flavors and something, you know, after like a hard week or, you know, a tough day. <sighs> I'm not saying turn to alcohol to self-medicate, no. but that, that's not what I'm saying at all. But sometimes just being able to try something new, especially in lockdown, is just really rewarding. Like you're, you're, you're able to do something in your own house that is still a unique and fun experience. And I really value that. Absolutely. As, as part of my lockdown experiences has been able to try all of these new beers. Um, and I feel very lucky and privileged to be able to, to do that. Yeah, well, that's the thing, like, right, affordable luxury, like, to, to an extent, obviously not for everyone, like you say, still point of privilege, 100%, but at least you can be like, you know, for maybe like 20 euro, I can get a bunch of things that are new to me and just try them, not all at once, not saying you should drink 20 beers at once, that's a bad idea, don't do that, <laughs> but, you know, have them ready to go around the house, like you say, of a weekend, you can just be like, oh, this is new and different, 
see what you like, see what you don't like, especially I think to someone who's kind of new to finding like good beer, you know, what better time to just figure out what you like and don't like, you know, no one's going to judge you for like drain pouring something if it's not for you. And, uh, you know, and if you really like it, you know, no one's gonna be like, oh, you're having the same thing again and again. Like, it's okay. No one sees it. It's all you. So. Absolutely. Yeah. We're not going to judge you. No, no, no. And I think, you know, it's also great, you know, to go on, you can go on social media and talk about, you know, the beer that you like and what you like. And there are lots of great communities to do that. And I think that's, that kind of still fosters that community when it's really hard to kind of have your community now. I think, you know, I I have found some really great communities online that are still quite active and, you know, maybe even more active possibly than they were before um, with with these sorts of conversations, particularly in Ireland, very, very active um, beer communities here. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, that's the the current, uh, it'll be less current by the time you are all listening to this, but the current Snugcast where they're, uh, you know, just talking about other things. And again, shout out to the Snugcast guys, good stuff. Um, You know, there's just some really interesting discussions going on and about just the state of the community and how um, they're they're talking about how it's still in that kind of rising tide lifts all boats uh, phase, which I think we kind of had in the States maybe 15 years ago. And now everyone's suing each other and it's it's not as friendly as it used to be for capitalist reasons, but uh, I think we're still in this kind of, it's good for everyone if the sort of independents all kind of get together. And it'd be nice if it could stay that way to some extent. Um, but, you know, we'll see how it goes. But you're right, like there's been so much community around this whole, you know, situation. People are really trying to kind of, you know, work together or kind of, you know, share canning lines and things like that. I think that's been uh, been very heartening to see. Yeah, we're all we're all sitting here nodding and just kind of like happily thinking about yeah. how nice that's kind of been. Um, yeah, beer as medicine as as community. Yeah, I mean it's mm. all it's all part of it. Like you said, the mental health aspect is, uh, like you said, it's not people self medicating, but people saying, "Hey, how could this help someone else out?" You know, what's something maybe I thought would be weird to try, but you know, yeah, it, it's all better off. It's it's the importance of community to mental health and how beer helps facilitate that community. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's sure pretty great to be able to enjoy it and safety and security, exactly. relatively yeah. speaking to maybe other things that could be possible. So, yeah. And and look for people that we want to support with our business. Absolutely. To, to give. Or yeah. just have a better hydrated January <laughs> and February and make some space in the cupboards for some fresh beer. Yeah. Here, here. No, it is nice, though, to be able to I would much rather give my money to someone down the street than some multinational from who knows where I'd much rather give it to someone where I know it's like helping their their kid go to school or buy their soccer uniform or I should, oh, my God, my husband's going to be like soccer. It's football, football <laughs> uniform, football uniform or things like that. I, you know, that that is very appealing to me. And again, Absolutely. it goes back to that sense of community that that is with beer. It's it's. I, you know, I buy this beer from X brewery. I talk about it. Maybe I actually get to talk to the brewer, which is amazing. And then, you know, you're, you're giving, you're, you know, you're helping the community in which you live and it just creates, you know, this really nice circle and cycle and. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, It's the big upside of living in a, you know, a smaller country where, you know, someone is going to know someone who knows someone it's, you know, it's, it's just inevitable. It's not, uh, you know, it's a very different, it's a very different market for a lot of reasons. Not to say we don't have the big multinationals. Obviously, we do, and some of them are headquartered here, which is also fine. Not a not a bad thing in and of itself. It's uh, 
you know, again, we could do a whole thing. Actually, it would be super interesting on just like the, the whole sort of, you know, history of like Guinness philanthropy and housing for workers and stuff. There's a whole like thing there that would be fascinating. But uh, I, I think, too, there's like you said, there's just so much kind of keeping it here and just, you know, sharing that sort of knowledge and experience. And I, I think we've gotten to do some like super cool things with with beer ladies, like doing like virtual tours and stuff. And it's you, know, you feel like you know them and have a connection. And it's just so nice. And it's not even just like one person. Like, again, it doesn't have to be like the brewer. It can be all these other people involved in whether it's packaging or marketing or sales, what, you know, whatever. There's just, uh, you know, an opportunity to get people across the spectrum involved. And it's nice. Yeah, like you feel like you're having a conversation. You're not just sort of interjecting yourself. You feel like you're you know, taking part of a larger conversation that involves yeah. this huge community, which I, I really like. Yeah, absolutely. And then kind of that you're helping to shape it too, to a certain extent, not that you're sort of saying, oh, I only want this or I only want that. But, you know, you can give feedback, I, I feel, I find here without people being like offended or, or whatever, you can be like, oh, you did a re- really great job with this. This one wasn't to my taste, but maybe that'd be great with this market. And people are just like, oh, no, that's great. I think I'll you know, file that away for useful information. And it's just, it's nice. Because again, it, it's still small. So you can, you can do that. And it makes a difference. Or you can pester people enough to make a certain style of beer. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. You can go on Twitter and being like, I want a good lager. And eventually one will appear. So magically. And you can pretend like it's because of you. It's not, but we can it's pretend. Not. Absolutely. And and plus, now that I've got all my homebrew stuff here, there's nothing stopping me from making a lager apart from just laziness and being busy but you know I could do it if I really wanted that that is the thing I think people think because lagers are tend to be like easy drinking beers that people think they're easy brewing beers and they're no 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 technically difficult beers to make because you can't hide anything in a lager no hide in an ale um and I think, you know, sometimes I think people forget that. That is a really difficult beer to make. And Absolutely. actually, it's a sign of an excellent brewer. Like, it is one of the things that, you know, if I'm if I'm at a festival and there's a bunch of different beers, I would probably go for the lager first because I think that can generally tell you a lot about the the technical ability of the brewer. Now, that Yeah, said, I completely agree. They're really hard to make. So it is possible for the person to make excellent ales and not so great of a lager. And that's fine. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. They're really they're, they're, you, they're there's not a lot of room. Yeah, especially when you're a small operation, you can't afford to just chuck everything out if it didn't work out. You still have to find a way to like sell something that didn't quite fly, even if maybe it might tank your reputation in the longer term. But it's just like if you can package it as something, great. But it, yeah, it, it you know when you're working on those small margins, you have to really be so careful, and it, it's hard. Like like you say, like uh, um. You know, even just a, a nice, like, just like a culture or something is so hard to do well. You know, any tiny error in your, uh, especially in your temperature, I'll be like, uh, tastes like wet paper. Don't, don't do this. So, yeah. And that, and that, and that brings into like, there are lots of beers that perhaps are really great, but not great as what they're labeled. Like, sometimes I think. Yeah. People try to pigeonhole themselves into, I'm going to make this style. And it's really yeah. not that style. But if you labeled it something else, it would be great to that style. So I think, you know, maybe being more not as married to labels, um, I think is good. Like just as a BJCP beer judge, like when I've been judging stuff, there's been beers that have come across. I'm like, this is really good, but it is absolutely not this beer. It is 100%. Not what this label yeah, is. exactly. Like wrong category, wrong category, great beer, wrong category. Yeah. And it's such a shame when you get those because it's so frustrating um, because they don't, you know, they don't meddle or they don't do as well. Whereas if they had just simply put it into another category, you're like, wow, you know, this would be 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I know we're still in this phase, a little bit less so here than in some other places of, you know, like, throw everything in the brew kettle and see what comes out. And it'll be weird and fruity. And, and again, some of those are fantastic, absolutely phenomenal. There's a bunch I absolutely love it here, here as well. But then that's where you can hide all those technical errors. If it's, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not quite ready for, for prime time, but you gotta, gotta get some product out the door, that's one way to start and then hope your cans don't explode. But uh, I feel like we have not had that here, but you know, looking across to like, you know, the U S West coast, and you're like, guys, come on. No, I did have three cans explode on me this summer from an <gasps> Irish brewery. No, That's going to be yeah. my first batch. <laughs> oh. Maybe, but that's okay. You're home brewing. So, you know, that's yeah. how you try and learn. Yeah. Yeah. Could you make a medicinal lager? Do you think? Throw some raspberries in there. Yeah. Well, actually, I do like the rose that, hips. That's an interesting thing. idea. Yeah. I mean, I think I think you can you can. I mean, I think we've learned that you can make anything medicinal if you just say that it's medicinal. Mm. So with the right attitude, everything is. You medicinal. just wish really hard, and it's mm. medicinal. Yeah. In the yeah. grand tradition of medicinal <laughs> beer. Yeah, you just basically wake up and put a nice label on it. This is a medicinal beer, and off you go. Though I think maybe that's illegal now. <laughs> Oh yeah, it might be. Hundred years too late. Yeah, I think oh, well. I think uh, we missed we missed the uh, we missed the window when you could just add rat poison and and all sorts of things willy nilly and decide, uh, you know this this was uh, this was acceptable. So unfortunately, I don't think we can just make yeah. medicinal beer anymore. Unfortunately, you win some you lose some. You win some you lose some, <laughs> but you you know no one that you know there's still plenty of scope for people to make one of these sort of incredibly sexist you know women's beers we can be like it'll make you pretty and feel good uh, and, you know, it's pink that's every beer i drink oh my gosh. <laughs> exactly see i like that attitude yeah yes please please stop making those beers like just no yeah don't I mean, don't do that here, here no, carry no on one. with the beers just change the labels no yeah, one asks exactly. for that yeah no, exactly. It's like I can feel good on my own damn, you know, on my own damn self. Don't need to, you know, have the have the pink and the whole thing. But that said, I love a pink label. Like I have actually this one. Mm-hmm. Oh sure, it's yeah. Dave, that's like so so pretty. That Just one's don't beautiful. Market it. Just don't market it as women's beer. Like, Absolutely. Like I love this. There's glitter. Like it's like holographic. It's oh, pink that's art. fantastic. This is a beautiful can. But see how it's not marketed towards women with that exactly stereotypical gross stuff. No, it's just accessible to anyone. I love it. Yeah, because everybody likes pink. It's a pretty color. And you know, I like the glitter beer trend. Opposite of that. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I like Star Wars. That's me. Yeah. So (laughs) I like glitter and Star Wars. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, I I have a uh, a Schlafly. Uh, Schwarzbeer Star Wars crossover shirt that says, May the Schwarzbeer be with you. So that's, oh, uh, I guess it's actually more kind of a Spaceballs crossover, but I'm going to ignore mm-hmm. that and just go oh, Star Wars. Spaceballs is yeah, excellent. Galaxy Quest all the way. Whatever. Yeah, we recently watched Galaxy Quest again. So that was, uh, that was good times. I do also, though, I have a bunch of like fake Star Wars beer t shirts. I have like a Carillion <laughs> Ale, the little Millennium Falcon <laughs> flying over. So I want a Star Wars beer t shirt. It's <gasps> good. Let's ask Candy to make some. <gasps> I, I did tell her, you know, if we can get on the right side of the IP lawyers, you know, just, just walk That's that right. fine line. If yeah. it's enough, it's if it's close line. enough to parody, though. Yeah, then you can. 
you can do it. Yeah, we're, we'll 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 bug her. There's a way to make yeah, this happen. It's it's so convenient. We ha- we I must say it's so convenient to have a, a friend who is an amazing designer who we can be like, yes, Tandy, please make a shirt that looks like this. Absolutely. And I want to go like all in on like sort of Star Wars holiday special too, and have like B. Arthur like slinging me drinks in in like a beer <laughs> T-shirt. I think that could be a whole thing. So we're gonna we're gonna be broke for royalties, but we'll have a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> exactly all right Aww. friends do you want to hey, wrap girls. this you want to wrap yeah. this episode yeah up? let's wrap any, it any final thoughts i like beer i like mm. friends exactly <laughs> let there be medicines but all in the right proportions exactly exactly the dose is the is the poison so as long as you're being sensible yep you're all good well, that, that is true words are never spoken lisa here here and, and again like moderation and shout out again to whiplash this is gorgeous make more of these please so thank you very much yes dark steering dark Dark steering yes it is gorgeous highly recommend i will definitely be looking for that i love schwartz beer so good well may the schwartz beer be with you and again folks like subscribe rate review all those things it it does help a lot we appreciate it so thank you and comment if you have topics that you want us to talk about let us know yeah we have a big calendar but we'll we'll move things you know we want to hear from you yeah yeah absolutely absolutely community is for exactly Exactly. we're all about the community here here exactly so yes as lisa said follow us talk to us and we will see you next time Bye. Bye. bye 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 Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.